Praise God that we're a small church. <laughs> that we can come and meet with each other. It's so good to worship together. It would not be the same if it was just me and Laupi and Facebook Live. It really wouldn't be. I really sensed during that worship there was a lot of release of tension and anxiety. It's good to come and praise God together. Ah, it's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for braving the wind, the storm, the and what else is being thrown at us at the moment. It's good. We are indeed, dear friends. Huh? Oh, this oh I got a stall, okay. We are indeed living in strange times. <laughs> Apparently unprecedented uh, um, times. You know, there's a wave of uncertainty spreading around the world today. But as we come together, maybe we're fewer in numbers today, but I want to remind you with this photo that I took from the church this morning, that the sun did indeed rise in the east. And, God willing, it will set this evening in the west. As we come to worship, I, I want to give you a message of hope this morning. I hope today that your soul will be lifted. I hope that you'll receive a measure of peace and joy today. That perhaps you'll walk out of here with a little more love and a little less fear in your heart. Because I hope today the message will remind us, especially at this time, that there is a light in the midst of the darkness. That there is a healing presence in the midst of sickness. That there is a love that will dispel fear. That there is a God who is above all things. That there is a God whom we can trust. That there is a God who will ultimately save us. What I'm going to try to do is, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try to preach a shorter sermon. And I don't think it'll work, but if it does... Because I actually want to uh, allow a little bit of time at the end for us to come together to pray. That's, I think it's important that, that we do that. But dear friends, we do indeed live in strange times. Who would have thought that the most sought-after commodities in many parts of the world today would not be food or water? But bottles, small bottles of gunky gel and something to wipe your bottom with. I know there's a lot of glooming, uh, gloom and despair around at the moment. I'm going to provide you with a little bit of light relief, hopefully. I was sent a couple of pictures this week that tickled me. Someone sent me this. It was, uh, I think it's from Craigslist down in Washington State. Apparently someone is selling a roll of toilet paper for 20 bucks. And what I love about it, it says color white, condition never used. 
<laughs> I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming the used one was ten bucks. <laughs> How crazy is that? How crazy is that? And then there's a new marketing tool for churches. Uh, I really tell you, I think we need to take this on board. Uh, you can't really see it very clearly, but there's a church sign. Uh, reasons to come to church on Sunday. One, Jesus is awesome. Two, we have toilet paper. <laughs> I think that's fabulous. I think we need to do that. Put that on our Instagram, Tanya. Right now. <laughs> Last week. <laughs> Last week I introduced a new word to some of you, or a new phrase. Do you remember? Bottle it. Bottled it. He bottled it which uh, means when someone decides to opt out of a rather nerve-wracking task instead of just growing some gonads and doing it. Well, I'm going to give you this week... Uh, I will, actually, I hope you were able to use that some time this week during your conversations with people. But this week, I want to give you another word. It's a word that you already, kn- already know. It's this one. Irony. Irony. If something is ironic, then it's strange or funny because of a particular coincidence. The irony of us going through our sermon series on Exodus at this time is not lost on me. When I started to plan this series back in December, I had no idea that we would be tackling the plagues in ancient Egypt at the very same time that we and the rest of the planet would be in the middle of our own plague. Who would have guessed? How ironic. But it's been fascinating as I've been studying this and getting ready for sermons to see that although these plagues are separated by some 3,300 years, there are so many parallels between the two events particularly when it comes to the response of Pharaoh and us and maybe some of our leaders today. Tanya sent me a great article this week of how maybe some of us or our leaders might have responded to the plagues today. It was entitled, Pharaoh decrees the plagues will go away on their own. Let me read some of it to you. This is how the leaders would respond. So about the Nile turning to blood, we're told the fish are dead and it stinks. Terrible. But don't let the Hebrew media incite you to panic. Most of our territory is sand. The sand is fine. It's good sand. It's beautiful sand. And I think we're in great shape. Don't, uh, don't let Moses tell you different. That hoaxer Moses continues to politicize the frogs. Well, we may be knee-deep in frogs, but it's Moses who's a snake. And in fact, his staff is a snake. He's a snake holding a snake. Don't listen to his lies. No one needs to be let go. Yes, the frogs have died in festering heaps and now fed up. Uh, fed upon by swarms of gnats and flies that threaten to block the sun. But actually, we're doing really well. Really, really professionally handled. The priests of uh, Osiris, they say the fundamentals of the economy are strong. 
If you think you'd have lice, the itchy crawlies, anybody can get a test who wants a test, and the tests, they're just beautiful. Now, the locusts. That makes eight plagues. And I like the numbers being where they are. Ignore lying Moses and his lie that my heart has been hardened by the Hebrew God. This is false. I have the best heart. It's been weighed and it was light. So light. Lighter than a feather light. We may laugh. But isn't it funny how the parallels are very similar? And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to deal with the eighth and ninth plague. Uh, plagues. And then I want to answer the question that Moses posed, uh, that Pharaoh posed to Moses back in chapter 5. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You see, in the midst of the plague, what is God revealing about himself? And as we do that, hopefully we'll see a parallel with what is happening today, that the same God is actually revealing the same things about himself in the midst of our own fear and uncertainty. And it's these uh, revelations of who God is that's going to give us hope as we go through this. Okay, let's quickly look at plagues eight and nine. So we've had the Nile turning to blood, we've had frogs, we've had gnats, we've had flies, we've had dead cows, boils, hail, and still we're told that Pharaoh's heart is hard, stubborn to God, and he's not going to let the Hebrews go. And so, here come the locusts and the darkness. Why don't you join me if you've got a Bible. We're in uh, Exodus chapter 10. I'm just going to read about the plagues of the locusts first of all. Follow it along with me if you want. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They'll fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? And then Moses and Aaron was brought back to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, Go worship your Lord, your God. But just who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we celebrate a festival to the Lord. 
Pharaoh said, well, the Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord since that's what you've been asking for. And then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up all the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Locusts, locusts everywhere. They come on the land, and they and they were destroying all the crops. And this is actually still a, a really common occurrence. Funnily enough, about a week, two weeks ago, the BBC were reporting uh, this, and this is a, a photo of a massive infestation of locusts in East Africa. Everywhere. Uh, threatening crops and livelihoods. And that's the type of plague, but worse, that came upon Egypt. Everyone uh, would have been affected. And everyone would have been praying and trusting in one of their Egyptian gods to get them out of it. This one, Seth. Seth was the, the god of crops, the god who would protect their crops. But as we saw with the other plagues, this god was no god at all. He was a false god. And notice again that during this, Pharaoh tries to negotiate with God. This is the second time he does this. He comes in with a counteroffer. And he says, I'll tell you what, leave the women and the kids uh, and the livestock here and just go with the men. I, I, that's, take it or leave it. That's my final offer. But as we saw last week, we don't haggle with God. And Moses says, no way, Jose, and the locusts come. And then what happens? Well, we see again a fake repentance from Pharaoh. He says, I'm I'm really, really sorry this time. Really sorry. Can you please ask God to take the locusts away, please? And Moses prays, and the locusts go. And Pharaoh changes his mind again. And that's where we come to the ninth plague. 
the ninth plague. We can read about that uh, again in the rest of uh, uh, chapter 10. The plague of darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go. Except only just leave your livestock and your flocks behind. But Moses said, we, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our, our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshipping the Lord our God and until we get there we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you never appear before me again. The day you see my face you will die. All right, just as you say, Moses replied, I'll never appear before you again. And he didn't. Ninth plague, complete darkness, and it lasted for three days. It was so dense that people could not leave their homes. Where have we heard that (laughs) this week? Egypt was in complete lockdown. On the surface, it might not have seemed to be as bad a plague as as the others. But to the Egyptians, it would have had huge significance. And it would have shaken the Egyptian people to their core. You see, this was an attack on the Egyptian gods of the sun and moon. Ra. Ra was the sun god. And he was the chief deity of Egypt. And his wife was Mut. Divine mother and goddess and the queen of all the gods. You see, they, Ra and Mut, were seen by the people as the most powerful gods. And for the country to be plagued in, uh, plunged into darkness for three days, would mean that they would have been defeated. And this would have severely weakened Pharaoh himself because Egyptian kings were often seen or referred to as sons of Ra. One down in the deity scale. And Ra and Mut and Pharaoh could do nothing about the darkness. Also, there was another reason for this plague. Darkness in the Bible is a sign of judgment, a judgment over the people of God. If you look at uh, Joel 1, verses 1 and 2, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness 
and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. In Zephaniah uh, chapter 1, it says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. The day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. In uh, Isaiah it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And then, of course, you remember, we look at this in a few weeks as we come to Easter, that time as Jesus hung on the cross, we're told, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. You see, this is God in the most dramatic way, showing Pharaoh and the Egyptian people that, that they've sinned. And they need to repent. And they need to turn to Him. But again, Pharaoh bottles it. He tries to compromise. And he says, you can go with your women and children this time, but keep your livestock here. Moses says, no. That's no good. And eventually... Pharaoh loses it, and he says, get out, get out of my sight, don't ever come before me again, and Moses says, fair enough, and he goes, and the tenth and final plague will be the most devastating, I'm going to preach on that in a couple of weeks either here in person or at home in my pajamas. One of the two. (laughs) Get ready for that in two weeks. That's that's huge. Okay. Eighth and ninth plague. Let's back up. And I see what God is revealing about himself for all these plagues and through the interaction with Pharaoh. Basically, how is he answering this question that Pharaoh had? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Well, three things. And I believe these three truths about God are timeless. They are as true today as they were over 3,000 years ago. Three things that we and the world around us desperately need to hold on to as we enter into this time of fear and uncertainty. The first thing is the Lord is the one true God. In each of these plagues, as we've looked at, there's a corresponding Egyptian God. And the people of Egypt, and, you know, maybe I would even suggest some of the people of Israel as well, had in a very real way built the rhythms of their lives around these gods. It had become second nature for them to worship these gods, maybe even subconsciously worshipping the gods. So when they're sacrificing to Happy or when they're sacrificing to Seth, when they're worshipping these gods, they're saying basically, I trust you to give me the life that I want. 
I trust you to supply all my needs. But then their lives are thrown into turmoil as each plague comes. And God, in each plague, is exposing the gods that they trust and saying, they're fake. Don't trust them. The God of the Nile could do nothing when the river turned to blood. The the God of the crops could do nothing when the locusts come. The God of the livestock stood powerless when um, the livestock died. Why? Because they're worthless. These gods are ultimately worthless because there is only one true God. And notice as well that Pharaoh is exposed during this. Here's Pharaoh. He's got all the power that exists. He can do whatever he wants. And yet we get this picture of Pharaoh as the plagues come, as he loses more and more control. We get this picture of a man whose heart is hardened, who becomes even more bitter even more angry because he starts to realize that for all of his power, for all of his wealth, for all of his ingenuity, he isn't the God that he thought he was. He's not in control. And when he realizes that, he lashes out. Like a cornered animal. No surrender. Oh, the irony. Can you see the parallel here with what may be happening right now? You see, like Pharaoh, deep down, we we all want to be in control, don't we? So we we create gods in our lives that will keep us in control. So we, we trust the God of success. We trust the God of wealth and health and money and selfish ambition. But then something happens that shakes this worldview. Like a virus that we struggle to contain. In a pandemic, we realize that actually we aren't God. All the gods that we have been worshipping are are fake. So we can't trust our jobs. We can't trust the economies because stock markets tumble. We can't trust our leaders. We can't trust solely in our medical system. We can't trust in ourselves. And so what happens when we lose control is we lash out. We panic. And we start stockpiling goods. And we then try to resell those goods on Craigslist at triple the cost. We lose all sense of perspective and buy up stuff that really makes no sense. I read a fabulous article. I was taken by the title, but I read this article entitled The Psychology of Hoarding Toilet Paper. (laughs) And it was a fantastic article. 
And, and this professor was saying that when we fear we're losing control of our lives, we try desperately to find one thing, to do one thing that we can control, however small or stupid. So we buy enough toilet paper to last a year. You see, in all the uncertainty, at least I know that I can wipe my bottom. I'm in control. And that's what we do. It's crazy. But it's also at times like these, when all we have known and trusted seems to be falling around us, I wonder if we come to the realization that there is only one true God. I wonder as we worship this morning, maybe our worship was more powerful. Mine was. I was standing there almost in tears because I realized I can't control my life. Skyping with my my mum, my 80-year-old mum yesterday from the UK. Feeling helpless. They can't go out. Their, Their health isn't good. I mean, thankfully, praise God, they have lots of good people around them. But I realized I can't help my parents. I'm not God. And then I realized that there's only one true God. Our hope is built on nothing less. And that is what the Lord is reminding Pharaoh. He's reminding the Egyptians. He's reminding the Hebrews. And I believe he's reminding us in 2020 that he is the true God. In him we trust. There's no other viable alternative. The second thing that God reveals about himself in the plagues is that He's actually above all things. He's the mighty creator, the Lord of all creation. Do you notice in all of the plagues, in um, each of the plagues, God harnesses all of creation against Pharaoh? Every bit of it. Land, sea, animals, plants, weather. Everything obeys God. Why? Why? Because he created it. He's above it. Let me just quickly go through some scripture verses to show you that. Colossians. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. In Nehemiah, it says, you're the Lord, you alone, you've made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Psalm 97 says, for you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth, you're exalted far above all gods. And we see God's sovereignty over creation um, in the life of his son, Jesus. 
Jesus shows his divinity when he calms the storm. Remember this in, in Matthew. It says, suddenly a furious storm came from the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him up and said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, oh, for crying out loud, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were gobsmacked and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You see, not only is our God the one true God, he's the God Almighty, the creator of all heavens and earth and everything on the earth. The plagues confirm this. He's above the fields and the crops. He's above the animals and the insects. He's above the sea. He's above the sky, above the sun. He's above the nations. He's above leaders. He's above sickness and disease. There is no other name that is higher. He quite literally holds the whole world in his hand. And isn't that so reassuring? Especially at times like this. Times when the world and life seems to be spiraling out of control. This week we, we heard of a, a friend in her 50s who um, has been diagnosed with terminal stage 4 cancer. And it reminded me of that feeling when Linda was first diagnosed with breast cancer, that feeling of the world falling apart. You guys, I know you've experienced this as well. Where that you just feel totally that the world is unraveling around you. Or that you had hoped for and planned for was, was gone in an instant. And that word cancer struck fear into our hearts. And then some people came to pray for us and I always remember them saying, Cancer will not have the last word. He is above cancer. Ultimately, he's won the victory over cancer. Ultimately, he stands above all sickness, disease, and virus. And dear friends, ultimately, he's won the victory over them all can't lose sight of that. The last thing that God reveals about himself in the plagues is that he's our savior. We'll see this most clearly as we deal with the final plague, the Passover. How God saves his people. And what we need to remember is that that salvation is available to all. Peter, in his great Pentecost speech, says, uh, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul, in the book of Romans, says, for there is no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and gives richly to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will 
be saved. Here's the thing. Here's the really sad thing of all of this. If Pharaoh had not hardened his heart, if he had surrendered his life to God, if he had recognized his folly, if he had come and repented, he too would have been saved. It doesn't matter where you've been, who you are, what you've done, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It begs the question, whose name are we calling in times of trouble? Whose name are you calling on in times of trouble to be saved? You see, even in times like these, especially in times like these, if we call on the name of Jesus, if we know that we do have Jesus as our Savior, well, he's going to save us. He's going to save us from fear. He's going to save us from anxiety. He's going to save us from an uncertain future and save us ultimately from the greatest fear, which is death itself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Life. Dear friends, nothing will get in the way of that. Nothing. If we trust in the one true God, if we acknowledge that he's above all things, if we call on him as our Lord and Savior, then nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor COVID-19, nor panic buying, nor closing of borders, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. 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 It's ironic, isn't it? That the very same God who revealed himself to the people in Egypt some 3,000 years ago in the midst of a plague is doing the same thing in 2020. Take hope. I want to give us an opportunity now. There's a few of us here, but maybe a few could raise their voices in in prayer at this time. If you do pray, then try to pray loudly so we can each hear uh, your prayer.
Father, I thank you as we sung earlier that we are no longer a slave to fear because we are daughters and and sons of yours. Father, I do pray. I do pray that you would lift our souls, you would lift our hearts, you would lift our spirits during this time. Father, and I pray that you would turn the hearts of women and men to you that, Lord, we will see an outpouring of your love and compassion and your grace, that so much good will come out of this as we learn to love one another with the love of Jesus. So, Lord, would you be with us? Would you go before us? Would you be behind us? Would you be to the left and to the right of us? Will you be above us and under us? supporting us during this time. And thank you that we have the assurance, the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine.